Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Town of Portland weekly podcast. We are live here in the Town of Portland Town Tech Educational Podcast Studio at Portland High School, and this is going to be our episode 15, and I'm your host, Dave Kosminski, and uh, with us in the studio again, we have our uh, first selectman, uh, Susan Bransfield. We also have our town clerk, uh, Mr. Ryan Curley, and we also have Mr. Nate Foley, who is our park and rec director here, going to update us on uh, what's happening with the new park. And also on the line is our, uh, our frequent flyer, our uh, director of our Chatham Health District, Mr. Russ Melman. So uh, welcome all, and uh, I hope you're all surviving the heat, and, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get going here. So uh, without any further ado, I guess, Susan, tell us what's happening. Ah, good to be here, Dave, once again. Thanks for having us. And the big news last week is the opening of the Portland Recreational Complex. And we're, we have Nate Foley here today that's going to talk about the new complex and all of the wonderful things that they have there. The last week, I think I've taken my morning walk up there four out of the six times. So it's really a beautiful spot, and I look forward to hearing more on that from Nate. Also been working with uh, Ryan Curley and talking a lot about the voting that's coming up on August 11. His staff and he are doing a tremendous job getting ready for that. And I think he's going to add some interesting information for all of our listeners today. And then, of course, as always, Russ Melmed and I talk on a frequent basis. And I'm interested in learning more about some of the testing and some of the protocols and, and so forth. So... A lot of my report this week is here today in live and in person. So it's going to be interesting to hear what these gentlemen have to tell us, Dave. Great, great, Susan. Thank you uh, so much. And uh, I got to mention your your post on Facebook yesterday. We found a timber rattlesnake out on uh, Great Hill Road. Of yes. Highway crew. It was a good size one right. uh, and so forth. So uh, those are protected species. So if you see them, stay away from them. Correct, correct. Uh, yeah, that was our, our, as you said, our public works Folks found it, took a photo, and, and we publicized it. It's good for everybody to know. And be aware. Be aware. Yes. So Anyway, all right. We've got uh, one newbie here today and uh, another returning one. So I think uh, we'll go around the table. And uh, I think, uh, Ryan, we're going to put you up next. And our uh, town clerk uh, of the, uh, the town of Portland, Mr. Ryan Curley. And uh, Ryan's got a whole lot of new information concerning the uh, uh, upcoming uh uh, primary vote that's going to be taking place uh, next week, two weeks, right? August 11th. August 11th. So. primary. Yep. A anyway. So we're still so. a little, little ways away, but it's coming up quick. Good. Tell us what's happening, Ryan. All right. So um, as we just discussed, we have a primary in Connecticut on August 11th for both the Democrats and the Republicans. Um, in Portland, there's also a primary for the Republican for um, the con first congressional candidate, Um mm -hmm. So we're going to be seeing that as well. So that'll be on the Republicans' ballot. Um, so applications for the August 11th primary for absentee ballots went out uh, in the mail a couple of weeks ago to every registered Democrat and every registered Republican in the state. So um, if you live in town and you are a registered Democrat or Republican and you did not get a letter in the mail, please call my office. My office to date has received 928 returned applications for absentee ballots wow. in, the, in the primary, um, which, is, which is quite a lot. I think back in 2016, in the presidential election, uh, my office did roughly 600 ballots. Okay. So we're 50% we're higher, um, and we're just getting started with the primary. Right, um, and these are just uh, affiliated voters, correct? These are just affiliated Correct. Democrats and Republicans, yes. So um, the Secretary of the State's office has set up the bulk of the absentee ballots uh, this year to, or for this primary to be issued by a mail house as opposed to normally the ballots are issued through the town clerk's office directly. Uh, this was done because of the anticipated um, volume of absentee ballots that are coming back. And so, um, you know, issuing 928 absentee ballots would be a lot of uh, stress on, on any office. But um, 
So the way this process works is that um, ballots became available this past Tuesday, uh, July 21st. So um, as of then, if, um, if uh, there's a registered Democrat or Republican in town that would like to vote by absentee ballot and uh, does not want to receive their ballot in the mail, if they'd like to pick one up in person, they can do so now. They can come to the town clerk's office and pick up a ballot and I can issue, issue you your absentee ballot in person. Um, I have not done so to date. Most of the applications coming in are being done through this mailhouse by mail. Um, and although the applications are available, or, I mean, the ballots are now available, if you haven't received your ballot yet, that there's no need to worry. So I want to stress that this new process takes a little bit longer than what some people who typically vote by absentee ballot may be used to. Um, so how this works is uh, on the 21st on Tuesday, the mailhouse um, batched all of our requests, all and I think back then on Tuesday, we had 800 requests already in, in the queue. And so the mailhouse, we've been told, takes approximately three days to issue the ballot, to run their machines, and to get those ballots in the mail. Once they get in the mail, they take an additional three days to, um, to get to voters' mailboxes. So the earliest, um, if you've already submitted your application, the earliest you can expect to receive a ballot in the mail would either be on Monday or Tuesday of next week, and that would be July 27th or July 28th. That's what I'm anticipating mm -hmm. um, being uh, the day that most ballots uh, get actually get to the voters. Sure. So um, the process has been working great. We've been issuing, like I said, like crazy. And um, every day we get a stack of applications in the mail. And uh, Michelle's been uh, delivering those and, uh, you know, smiling every time. So, um, so in addition, last time I spoke about a Dropbox that we were anticipating receiving. Um, and we have received this. Uh, it's an absentee ballot election Dropbox. And it's been installed outside of Town Hall by the rear entrance by the monument side. And um, this is a place where voters can uh, physically drop off their applications or their, um, or their ballots. And I will say uh, thank you to Public Works for installing it. It's very secure. Um, it's drilled into cement. And I, I was, um, I was uh, a little leery of the security of the box, but... Um, but it takes two keys to open. It, it's pretty solid construction, and um, the uh, the slot to put in your ballot is very narrow. So it would be hard to put in anything other than uh, yeah. other than absentee ballots. And in addition, it's under 24-hour uh, surveillance. surveillance. Yes, yes exactly. and, and this is a state-issued box. This is a state-issued box, and they're the same boxes I believe that have been used in states like California for years. So um, it's not it's not it's new to us, but it's not new um, in the to the nation. And and it's well marked. It's very well marked. <laughs> yes, it'd be hard to miss it. Um, and in addition, uh, the absentee ballots, uh, all the return postage is paid. So if you still want to return your um, application or your ballot by mail, you can do so, and the postage is already prepaid by the state. Sure. And I think that's due to uh, some federal funding um, due to uh, okay. the COVID situation. Sure. Um, let me see what else I got here. Uh, if you are an unaffiliated voter and you would still and you would like to participate in one of the either the Republican or the Democratic primaries, you still can change your party affiliation. You must be registered with um, the party in order to participate in that primary in Connecticut. But you have until August 11th, or excuse me, August 10th at uh, 12 p.m. in order to uh, change your party affiliation. And so, uh, so that's the absentee ballot process. Um, we are also preparing for the primary on August 11th. In addition to that, we're still anticipating um, voters, you know, voters still want to vote in person. Some, not everybody, um, you know, believes in absentee voting and, and they sure. want to exert, they want to go to the polls. And, and so that's what we're here for as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's important that we do everything we can to make uh, voting as safe and um, you know, transparent and efficient for everyone, and so we're really focused on um, on keeping not only our uh, our poll workers safe, but the but our public as well. Sure. And um, so we've been uh, taking precautions. We've secured some PPE equipment uh, to use on primary day, and also to keep our uh, poll workers safe. 
We uh, have sneeze guards that will be set up at every station uh, to prote protect both the public and the, and the uh, workers. And uh, we also will be um, you know, practicing social distancing and making sure that every uh, polling station is, is sanitized after every use. Sure. Mm -hmm. And um, also last time I believe I was on here, I, I didn't know you had asked me about curbside voting and whether or not we would have it. And I have been assured by the registrars that curbside voting will be um, awesome. active and offered at the polls Great. for those who choose to do so. Um, yeah, I know that was very popular with, with the handicapped and folks. Uh, yeah, I've been getting some calls on that, too. Sure. People really like that. Yes, and, uh, yes. And so um, as far as the presidential election goes, um, that's the other big topic where, you know, everything's changing. If you've been paying attention to the news in Connecticut today, the state legislature came back for a special session. And one of the things that they're going to be discussing is the um, absentee ballot uh, process and the plan for the presidential election. So um, the reason why we have so many changes right now to the um, primaries is due to the COVID-19 situation and the governor's executive orders. So all of the, the reason why every voter could get an absentee ballot and vote by absentee ballot is because of these executive orders which expire before the presidential election. Mm -hmm. So in order to continue this, in order to have um, a different process than what we've been used to in Connecticut, the legislature will have to change the law. And so uh, we'll, we'll have to stay tuned to see what happens with that. Well, they're in special session now. Exactly. Right, yes. And, so that's, and that's one of the four topics that is going to be addressed during yes. a special session. Sure. Yes. Yep. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, so I think that's pretty much all I have. I mean, we're still working. So to get back to the presidential election, I mean, we're, uh, I've received some, you know, comments and concerns about um, what we're doing. And I, and I haven't been, uh, I'm trying to update as much as I can, but everything is changing so, so quickly, so quickly sure. um, that and November is still a, a long way away. So um, until I know, you know, what we're able to do as far as absentee ballots, and uh, I will say that we're going to be practicing social distancing. Um, we're going to have plenty of PPE equipment, and we're going to be keeping our uh, residents safe as possible and also making sure that they have the right to vote. Sure. That's, sure. that's what sure. we're trying to do. I mean, more and more, um, they're, they're saying, wear a mask. And it's yeah. something that's certainly very helpful as well as keeping your hands clean. Sure. And the social distancing you're, you're referencing, Ryan. Sure. Um, and the other thing I want to emphasize is Every day, something is new mm -hmm. or it has changed from what it was. Sure. We must keep up to date on things. And I, uh, I hope that you're able to come again to another podcast, Ryan, because I think before November, we're going to need to hear more about what the plans are. And I know that, that you and Trish are doing a great job and our registrar voters, too. Mm -hmm. And I thank you very much. And so do all the residents and voters in our town. Sure. You know, the podcast is actually a, a great vehicle to get this information out there and so forth. Uh, before you go, Brian, before I turn it over to Russ, um, uh, as far as are, are masks going to be required in the, in the polling area? They're going to be required for poll workers. That's another question that I would like to see that. I, I don't want to comment on that because I just don't know. Um, yeah, we're we're going to throw Russ in the barrel on the that legality one. over that. I mean, <laughs> You know, I would prefer that, but we'll have to, I have to check on that. Sure. All right. Well, Ryan Curley, uh, town clerk for the town of Portland. Thank you, Ryan, for giving us an update on that. Uh, and one more question before, uh, before I let you go, and we put Russ in here. Um, if, if voters that haven't received, I know you said they should be starting to receive ballots by next Monday. Is, is there a date that uh, people should call if they haven't received their ballot? Uh, it says on the application that if you don't receive your ballot within a week to call your town clerk's office, my advice would be um, because of the situation and because, like I explained, how it, this process takes a little longer than normal, mm -hmm. my advice would be one, if you mailed in your, um, from the time you mailed it in or dropped off your application at this point going forward, if you haven't received it in, uh, in two weeks, I would say give me a call. Um, if, uh, as of right now, if you've already submitted your application and you haven't received a ballot by, uh, let's say, next Friday, give yep. my office a call. And so next Friday, do you know what, what the date of that? 27th? Is that the 27th? Yes. Then uh, 
Let me just double check on that because I... No, today's the... No, no, no. It's the 31st. 31st, I'm saying. So if you haven't gotten an absentee ballot by the 31st, please give my office a call. My number is 860-342-6743. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. All right. Russ, well, I know you've uh, got a busy schedule, and uh, we're going to put you in here next. So uh, you probably give us the uh, the mile-high version of all the executive orders that are coming out of uh, uh, the Papal Palace up in Hartford and uh, what's happening in the wonderful world of health. Sure. Um, so uh, quick, some situational awareness. We continue to do very, very well in Portland and other all the, the towns of Chatham Health District in terms of the cases of COVID-19 in terms of the rate of positive tests that we're seeing, in terms of the uh, testing availability, though that we've seen it dip a little bit, uh, to reasons unknown. Um, so we've only seen uh, nine cases across all of Chatham Health District in the month of July so far. Um, that's uh, Compare that to around 30 that we saw in June, compare that to 60 that we saw in May compare that to 160 that we saw in April, and you can see the trend is still pretty good in our favor. Um, the rate of, of, of tests that are coming back positive is also very good. We're below across Chatham Health District, below 1% of our tests in July um, come, are coming back positive. That is great news. It's just an indicator of um, the, 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 the degree to which our testing capacity is meeting the demand and is able to identify all the cases that we have in our community. So testing capacity is fine, though we have seen in the last uh, two weeks a decline in the, the volume of tests that are being done. And it's a little bit unclear to me why. Um, there could be a number of reasons. One, demand could just be lower. There could be fewer people who are symptomatic at all, and they're just not going to get tested. Um, there could be a, uh, a reduction in the number of people who are you know, getting multiple tests after they've tested once. And that's um, because guidance around who needs to get tested and when has changed a little bit. Um, it could also uh, be a storm cloud, which I don't want to focus too much on, but um, there is a surge in demand for testing elsewhere in the country. If you haven't been paying attention to the news, there are many, many states around the country that are having a very difficult time with COVID. And so demand in, for testing in those places has accelerated a lot. And I'm a little bit concerned that it may impact capacity here in Connecticut, we're still okay. But um, if you go back to March and April, we really had a difficult time finding reagents for our laboratories to run tests, equipment shortages, um, trained staff, they, they just weren't there. And I am a little bit worried that if uh, our, our neighboring states to the south, and I'm not talking New England, I'm talking southern parts of the country, don't get their act together, um, we're going to be impacted. We may see longer turnaround times for tests. So instead of one to three days for your result, we may start seeing, you know, one, two weeks. Um, I'm worried about that. Um, right now we're still okay, but I am keeping my eye on that. So um, this is not the, the dire warning from the health director to anybody who's listening. This is just saying we're paying attention, um, and what happens elsewhere in the country does have an impact on what's happening in Connecticut. Sure. Nobody could figure that out yet. Um, that's just the truth. And if anybody needed further proof of that statement, um, it's the governor's uh, most recent executive order, 7-I-I-I, I believe. That's not four I's. The last I was I believe. So 7-I-I-I. Um, the governor went from having a what was to this point a voluntary but strongly recommended travel advisory um, to an executive order that has a legal framework and has an enfor enforcement component to it. So for anybody who travels to, right now, a list of 31 states um, for more than 24 hours and comes back to Connecticut, or for residents of those places who come to visit Connecticut for various reasons, you are required to self-quarantine for 14 days upon arrival here. Um, whereas there used to be a fairly liberal uh, policy around testing in lieu of quarantine, so if you just kind of didn't want to quarantine, the governor previously allowed anybody who wanted to, to test negative 72 hours prior to your arrival, and you could just forego quarantine. But that is not the case anymore. Um, for clarity's sake, the, the, the governor's executive order now states that only for those people who are unable to self-quarantine can they use a test-out strategy. Um, and although there is no definition of unable, we have been given some examples of what it means to be unable to self-quarantine. 
One example was you have a dying relative in Connecticut and you need to come see them before they pass. Um, the sort of compassionate example to allow a family member to go visit with their dying loved one or to go to their funeral. Um, the other perhaps more permissive example that, that we were given is for parents who are moving a child into college in Connecticut from one of these states. So everybody who's done that before knows what a, an undertaking it is to uh, move a child into a college dorm or an apartment somewhere near school and for parents to not be able to help their child do that, I think, would make that task nearly impossible. So if you're a parent driving your child up from South Carolina and they're, they're going to enter UConn or Yale or wherever in the fall, you're allowed to forego quarantine just to help them move. It doesn't mean you can go out to dinner afterwards. It doesn't mean you can go about you know spending a couple of days in Connecticut and, and going to the beach. It means you can help your child move into the dorm, and then you leave or you quarantine. So those are the carve-outs. The only other carve-out is for essential workers. If you are an essential worker who has traveled out of Connecticut, and the list, I think most people who are essential workers on that list from the Department of Homeland Security know who you are, or at least know that you work in that industry. If you're told to go somewhere for work that is in one of these hotspots, then when you come back, you are allowed to not quarantine only so you can work. That means you can go to work and then you resume your quarantine at home. Um, only for those uh, uh, people who work in those critical infrastructure sectors. It doesn't mean if you choose to go on vacation to Texas that just because you're a critical, you work in a critical infrastructure sector that you don't have to quarantine. It is only permitted to forego self-quarantine if you were told to go for work. So you went for a conference or whatever you happen to do um, that's the carve-out. So it's a fairly restrictive travel policy. Um, and I think the governor rightfully looks at Connecticut as doing best in the nation in terms of transmission rates. And that's not – that is best in the nation in terms of transmission rates. Hmm. Uh, the governor doesn't want to see people casually going, uh, traveling outside of the state, coming back, and re-triggering more widespread community transmission. And I can tell you – from the cases that we are seeing now, um, some of the people who are testing positive and who we do contact tracing for an interview, their only exposure was travel-related. So when we interview them, if somebody tests positive, we get the report. And for those listening out there, you may get a call from a strange 860 area code number. It may say it's from Haddam, Connecticut. Um, it may say it's calling from the state of Connecticut. Please answer the call because that might be a contact tracer asking you, about uh, you know your illness, giving you recommendations about isolation and such. So anyway, um, the the people who we're interviewing now, some of them are only having travel-related exposures. So they don't remember being around anybody who was sick necessarily. They don't work with anybody who's tested positive that they know of. But they did travel to Florida for vacation, and then a week later started feeling ill. So. Uh, that's the, I think, the reason for the travel-related uh, uh, qu travel quarantine. I think that's a re the reason why it is fairly restrictive at this point. I do feel bad for people who, for example, have a, have a vacation planned and they go out to uh, you know, a state like uh, South Dakota, and when they left, South Dakota wasn't on the list, but while they were traveling, it made, it made its way onto the list. So through no intention of your own, you ended up in a state that is now on the list, and Though it may seem unfair, it is for a good reason. So um, I do, you know, we've had situations, I've had many calls just in the last 24 hours about this, and it is unfortunate for those folks. But, um, uh, again, depending on uh, where you work, uh, many people are covered under the paid leave uh, for, for quarantine. So um, if you had a travel-related exposure and your government tells you that you need to self-quarantine, um, you, you are eligible for up to 80 hours of paid leave for that quarantine. I don't think it really applies to people who know about the, the travel restriction, decide to book a trip to Florida, go there and come back, and think they're going to get two weeks of paid leave. It is um, for things like, um, you know, the situation I described. You went somewhere, right. it wasn't on the list, and then suddenly while you were there it was on the list. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those kinds of things. So, sure. All right. Uh, now, uh, going back to Ryan's question uh, on on the the polls, is it uh, a local jurisdiction uh, policy? Uh, 
for uh, mask wearing at polls, or how, how is that going to be determined? So is- that's a really sticky issue that I don't really have an answer to. I okay. mean, I think that the governor's executive order is clear, that when you are in a public place and you cannot maintain six feet of distance from other people when that can't be assured, you must wear a mask unless you have a medical condition that makes it um, uh, dangerous. Correct. So I'll say two things about that. One is um, this sort of pits one issue of the Constitution with another. You know, you, your right. constitutional uh, uh, right to vote um, versus what may be built into the Connecticut Constitution, which is, you know, during emergencies, the governor can issue executive orders. And, and so it sort of pits these two things against each other. But I think, to Ryan's point, that's why I think a lot of people might want to look at um, mail-in ballots. If you are somebody who has a medical condition that makes wearing a mask dangerous to your health, I would just encourage you to get a mail-in ballot. Um, That way uh, you don't have to worry about going to a polling place and having to choose between voting or wearing a mask that you uh, have a medical condition for which doing that makes it dangerous for you. I wouldn't want anybody to make it to put themselves at risk by wearing a mask if they have a medical condition that makes that dangerous so that they can vote, and I'm thankful to hear Ryan talk about how widely available it is um, and how easy it is to get a mail-in ballot. So hopefully it's a non-issue. Mm-hmm. So going going from there to to, to the school openings, <laughs> Russ, uh, mm-hmm. I know uh, Middletown just announced yesterday that they were going on to, uh, uh, in their uh, Middletown school district, to, to online learning. Uh, has there been, been any indication as far as in the district uh, where districts are heading? Uh, so what I've seen presented for the school districts that have presented things formally is I've seen plans that have a range of options and the options include full in-person classes, um, some hybrid model where, uh, it's, um, you know, cohorted classes on certain days, reducing, reduced, reduced mixing, especially in the high school and the middle schools so that you don't have students going to six different, you know, uh, classes a day with different students um, to, you know, different days to full online learning. I've seen plans that have all of those types of options built into them. And I know that there are, I think most, if not all of the districts, school districts in Chatham Health District are currently or already have sought parent and teacher feedback on what they would prefer. Sure. And so I don't know about any other decisions that have been made. I don't know if there are any decisions that have been made of any of the school districts in Chatham Health District yet. Right. But I know that the planning is including a lot of parent and teacher feedback on what would be preferred. Sure. Well, I know uh, Dr. Britton is is going to be doing a podcast uh, here in the studio at 2 o'clock, so hopefully we'll get uh, a little bit more of insight. I know they had a a fairly lengthy Board of Ed meeting Tuesday night and Mm -hmm. basically going over um, the uh, kind of the, the, the skeleton plan. Apparently, the uh, state board of ed is is requiring them to have a plan uh, or some sort of plan submitted by tomorrow. So mm, that's uh, right. That's yeah, uh, by tomorrow. Yeah, and I think that the the bigger the biggest unanswered questions are perhaps the ones that have the most impact on how how school looks in the fall. Sure. And sure. those things are you know what does a sick child policy look like? Um, what do mask breaks look like? Who is exempt? from wearing a mask mm-hmm. and you know what does the community transmission have to look like before we switch from one type of one model to another right and i i'm very you know i've been beating the drum of asking the state department of public health for a sick child policy since i saw the state's plan come out about a month ago at this point right because if you think about what that looks like um you know, for a long time, we've been telling people throughout the pandemic, if you have any symptoms of anything that, that is related to COVID-19 or looks like COVID-19, stay home from work and get tested. Right. right. Um, so if you look at the list of symptoms for COVID-19, they include things like headache, mm-hmm. nasal congestion, runny nose. Um, so I... I, I I imagine that if you asked any teacher, administrator, school nurse, how many times a day they see a child with a headache, a runny nose, or nasal congestion, um, they might tell you, you know, it's... Common occurrence. Common. Every day, multiple times a day. Sure. So at the very least, if 
that policy sticks, that's what the sick child policy looks like, schools will be sending children home frequently. Yeah. Um, and then if you take it a step further, well, do we assume that that child had COVID-19 when they had a runny nose because that's on the list of symptoms? That's the bigger question. Um, uh, if we wait for testing, and we can't require anybody to be tested, um, if we wait for testing and somebody comes back positive, say, um, before we did anything with the other classmates of that person who was there that day, and they test positive, then we've waited days while other students had maybe been exposed and then they're in school. If we don't wait and we have a very, very conservative sick child policy and we say any child with symptoms that look like COVID-19, their close contacts in the classroom need to be put in quarantine, then do the math and there will be dozens and maybe a hundred or more students being sent home every day for quarantine. Right. So I just, I, I think that these questions need to be answered before students go back to school. Yeah. I, I just, I don't, I don't see how school works very well in person if we have a very conservative approach to a sick child policy. I'm not saying it's not the right approach. I'm just saying, structurally speaking, I don't know how you have in-person learning when any child, any time a, child, a student has a sniffle, the whole class goes home for two weeks. Right, right, right. Um, so I think these, are, these questions need to be answered, and they really should be answered by the State Department of Public Health <clears throat> and the State Department of Education so that one school district doesn't have a policy that dismisses half the children from the school every day and another school has a policy that is very, very different. Sure. Um, so I think I'm eagerly I'm beating that drum and trying to get answers for our superintendents, and I know that they are too, because um, well, we need to answer some of those questions. Yeah, and I think yeah, you know, a lot of school districts take part in the, you know, the, the open school policy, so you, you may have students coming in from um, you know, other districts, uh, which complicate things even more. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, so absolutely. That, What's Community transmission is not going to be the same everywhere. No, I mean, exactly. there could be community transmission that's higher in one town that sends students to Portland High School. But in Portland, community transmission is, you know, negligible even. But so what right. do you do with that student? Do you say, well, you live in this town where there's more community transmission, so you have to stay home. Right, I right. Just, these seem like impossible questions, to, but they have to be wrestled with. No, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Great. All right, Russ, I appreciate it. And as always, thanks for all of the valuable information. Is there anything else that you, you want to tap for? We, we head over to Nate here and uh, get our no, yoga mats out. I want to hear about the park. <laughs> I want to hear about the park. All right, fantastic. Talk about good stuff. There you go. Mr. Russ Melvin from Chatham Health, thank you so much. And uh, I guess, Nate, you're up next, babe. You're on the on deck circle. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, our. Uh, Director of Park and Recreation, Mr. Nate Foley, and uh, he's got a couple exciting announcements. Uh, we opened up our, our new park. It's a soft opening, but uh, tell us all about it, Nate. All right. How's it going, everybody? Thank you for having me. It's great. So as uh, both Dave and Susan mentioned, um, Monday, July, or July 20th at 6.30 a.m., some of us <laughs> showed up down at yeah, the park sure for our, uh, our official opening, and it was very exciting. There, there were only a few people there bright and early, but it was very exciting nonetheless to open those gates officially. You know, you're on the grounds legally. It's not a construction site anymore, and people can really start taking advantage of the opportunities that this park offers. It's been a very long road. I've been on it for the tail end of the project, and the amount of people involved from start to finish is absolutely unbelievable. And I think you know, it, the saying, it takes a village, you know, that's what this project was. And it's just awesome that we can finally have this park open, have community members using it, enjoying the playscape, enjoying the fitness equipment and our walking path. There, there's so many features that are really beneficial to our town. And it's nice to really be out there at this point. So since Monday, I've actually been to the park quite a handful of times myself. I've had the opportunity to use the fitness equipment. I've seen kids and families using the playgrounds. I've seen kids playing on the fields, runners, walkers, bikers going around the walking path. It's, it's just amazing. Um, the walking path is actually a three-quarter mile track if you go around the whole thing and throughout the center. Um, if you're looking for a very nice paved flat surface to get some exercise on out in the sun, you know that's the perfect opportunity for you. The fields are open for light use at this time. They are still maturing. However, you know, we're growing the grass in. We're still irrigating. We're still seeding and prepping those fields for next baseball and soccer season. 
So while those fields can be used for, you know, small wiffle ball game, kickball, light exercise such as yoga, Pilates, just general workouts, you know, feel free to enjoy those, but we are not holding any organized events or athletics on those fields because they do cause so much wear and tear on the fields. The playground is wide open and ready to use. The fitness circuit, same thing, you know, go out, enjoy, get some exercise. And just like all of our other playgrounds and parks that we've opened, we have put signs at those parks kind of reiterating all of the COVID-19 precautions, the safety guidelines, mentioning that these playgrounds and this equipment is not sanitized by the town. It is recommended that you use your own sanitizer, bring your own sanitizer with you, social distance as necessary, wear your masks if you're in close proximity of others, and always wash your hands before and after use. That's the biggest thing, you know, that cleanliness, staying aware, and social distancing as much as possible. And as mentioned by multiple people already in this podcast, things are changing so frequently, it's, it's very hard to keep up with. And, you know, we do our best by staying informed and on the administrative side, trying to keep the public and any of our facility users informed, any of our program participants informed as well as we can. And I think that line of communication is really the, the most we can do at this point and just, you know, stay as up to date as possible. Over at the park also, we do have our bocce court, you know, it's a full-size bocce court, very nice, ready to be used. The horseshoe pits are open as well. We do not have equipment on site for those activities. However, if you do have your own bocce balls, if you have your own horseshoes, you're more than welcome to bring them over and use that equipment. Hopefully once all this kind of cools down, we will have that equipment on site that we can allow guests to use when they're on the facility. But for now, it's kind of bring your own and use at your own risk. And <clears throat> next Monday, 727, we are actually moving our half day summer quest program that we started up this past week over to the Portland Recreational Complex, which is very exciting as well. Um, week one of the program we held down at Riverfront Park. It's a Monday through Thursday program, 9 to 12, and we're also offering an evening session from 2 to 5. However, the evening's registration has been much slower, so that one was not running week one, and it's not looking great for week two. But the morning has been great. The staff is doing a phenomenal job really keeping up on all the guidelines. They're wearing their masks on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, throughout the three hours of the program. Regular sanitization of any equipment they're using, tabletops, door handles, any touch points that are accessed throughout the program day. And it's really nice that we can move this program over here just because of all the amenities I was discussing. Riverfront Park is a perfect opportunity for week one as we did not have the park fully functional but there's not as many activities available you're limited to the grass space you don't have the playgrounds available and this new park is really the perfect way to kind of unite some of our kids in the community and unite some of our staffs with this new opportunity which is just so cool and a great way to introduce that park and you know get people out there really utilizing these features so that's very exciting for us now numbers aren't as great as we would hoped you know and i think there is still some concern around all the guidelines policies and procedures related to covid 19 but with our numbers being smaller it's actually great for our staff and the kids we don't have to be so careful creating these cohorts that you guys talked about and it's easily adaptable with many of the activities we do. It's easier on the staff to coordinate the games they're playing, distribute any supplies, clean supplies. So overall, with our lower number of kids, the restrictions are much easier to fulfill throughout the day. And it gives me and the staff a greater sense of confidence and a level of comfort that they know they're doing things as safely as possible. When you're dealing with a lot more kids and you have to separate and utilize those cohorts, there's so many more things that need to be done to maintain that safety on a day-to-day -day basis. So we, we are happy with the numbers we have, and we're providing, I feel, a necessary service to the families and the kids who are utilizing it. So it, it was just really nice being able to open this program up and start allowing kids to get back together, start socializing again, and you know, really have some fun. I think um, 
one of the biggest challenges over the past three months or since COVID really ramped up was trying to find a way to offer any of our programs meeting these guidelines. You know, just with that day-to-day -day change of policies, procedures, levels of safety and consideration, we, we had to make decisions that were very difficult in terms of program cancellation. Um, we knew we had to cancel programs that were needed for families who were at work full-time and didn't have that opportunity for childcare, which was very difficult to do. But in the greater scheme of things, we were looking at what was most safe for our staff, the kids, and the community in general. So we did lean more on that conservative side of canceling those larger scale programs, the larger scale events where the social distancing and the, the cleaning and the safety was truly necessary. Um, <clears throat> kind of going back to that camp program, they do implement a whole variety of different sports, games, arts and crafts, music, music and theater activities. The, you know, utilizing this playground, they'll be able to just do so much more in terms of fun little obstacle course activities. You know, they can create their own youth ninja warrior type of programs and games during the day. So it's very exciting to see what kind of creativity the staff's going to come up with. And that really is one of, you know, the biggest keys here, creativity and flexibility for any and all programs and events we're offering. You know, just to show we're trying something different, we're trying to be innovative and find ways to still have fun while maintaining distance, while maintaining that level of safety that participants can feel comfortable being around. Each morning of the program and any of our programs, we also do a brief health assessment of both staff and children. It's a five, five simple yes, no questions, including if they have had a fever, cough, sore throat, shortness of breath, and contact with anyone who's had COVID-19. So kind of going back, some of those things are a very common occurrence amongst the kids in school, and we're looking at those same questions. Now, if somebody has a very minor cough or a very minor, you know, um, kids have asthma, when, especially in this heat, um, you're going to see these problems and these symptoms. So we are not immediately dismissing someone from our programs if they say yes to these. Things like the fever, however, we will not permit somebody into the program if they have a fever. If they've had contact with someone who's had COVID, we will not permit them into the program until they self-quarantine. We ask these questions, just like Russ mentioned, so we can trace back any staff member or any child who has had contact with one another and we have that information readily available. We're documenting and keeping it on, on file on a day-to-day -day basis, so we have all that information right there for us in case there was any positive COVID-19 diagnosis. Now, are, are, are children uh, temperatures being taken when they arrive? Temperatures are not being taken at this time. Um, they changed that requirement, I believe it was about a month ago, the temperature um, testing is not required. Okay. It was required using the thermal thermometers um, and anything above 100.0 children should not have been in attendance. But as of now, temperature is not mandatory for the programs. Okay. Staff do wear masks on a day-to-day -day basis. As I mentioned, the kids are not required to wear masks, but they are more than welcome to if they choose or their parents prefer that they do. And we were actually able to work with Mizzy Cosmetics to get individual hand sanitizers for all of our staff. So they have that pocket sanitizer with them that they can use as needed throughout the day. We have refills available in case they run out. They're able to give that sanitizer to the kids when they need it. So it's nice having a, uh, a better smelling type of sanitizer than that normal generic sanitizer that nobody wants to use yeah. too Alcohol. often. Right. Um, Overall, though, the program is going great so far for week one. You know, today was the last day. It runs Monday through Thursday, with Friday being held as a rain date because the program is strictly outdoors. And the staff have been doing a great job with the social distancing, great job reinforcing that kids cough or sneeze into their elbows, hand washing, you know, 20 seconds, one kid at a time. And just overall, the program's been going great. We've heard positive feedback from a lot of the parents and the staff in general. So that's really exciting. Right. 
aside from that camp program, you know, we we have a lot going on with the department. We I've been staying very busy trying to, you know, find those creative and uh, flexible ways to adapt all of our programs between offering things online, doing things outdoor in person, um, really just getting things back to somewhat of a sense of norm. You know, these, these times are interesting for all of us. And uh, to say the least, you know, I'm just over a year and a quarter of my time in Portland, and I never expected this to cap off my first year. So it's it's been a heck of a learning experience. And uh, I think it's really setting up me personally to uh, be more creative and more innovative over the next however many years I am in this position. And it's it's just exciting to know that we can adapt and we can find ways to do anything through the community, whether it be online, whether it be out at our parks, utilizing, you know, the beautiful outdoor spaces we have and just keeping people together, being socially engaged. And we need that more than ever right now. So we've been work. our instructors have been, you know, amazingly susceptible to accommodating our outdoor programs our Tai Chi instructor has just started an outdoor Tai Chi class on Saturday mornings down at the Riverfront Park. Our personal Euphoria instructors for Pilates, yoga, strength training, they've been doing online Zoom classes straight through all of this. And we've had, had a good turnout overall. Our golf instructor, Jerry DeMora, he recently restarted up our youth golf programs, three sessions on Wednesday nights, and those numbers have been very successful. You know, this has been the second weekend. All the classes each have 10 children in them. So that's really nice to see kids getting out in grades K through 2, grades 3 through 5, and 6 through 8. We have a variety of youth dance classes and fitness classes with Alicia Courier. And she's also holding some of these down at Riverfront Park using the band shell kind of as her stage area. Skyhawk sports camps are coming up in the next few weeks. And... We also have some Abracadoodle art camps that we're doing. And it, aside from that, CT Valley School of Music and Dance, we're doing some camp programs late July, early August. And next week, actually, yep. we're starting. Yep. Next week is week one. Music and art camp, yep. And we have the, uh, the variety of group piano, guitar classes, kids' craft nights are being held, and we, we have a variety of running programs as well. So, you know, we're trying to keep everybody in Portland very active getting out, doing these things while social distancing, maintaining that level of safety that's necessary to start getting back into that normal. That, that's the biggest thing. We want to get back out there. We want to have fun. We want to see our friends, our family members. And we want to know the people we're around are also following the necessary guidelines. So it, it's just awesome that we're really back out. We're finding these ways to reinitiate everything we do in town you know the first uh the first month month and a half of all this was just very difficult to accept i think for everybody and you know the parks and rec department is all about bringing people together and you know socialization having those fun activities with your friends and it was just it was very sad to see everything come to a halt and I think that's the same with, like, the school system and really anything we do, just shutting down buildings in town to prevent people from coming in who might not have been following these necessary guidelines. It was just all around difficult for everybody. And I guess the good thing is it's worked. Right. And I'm not hearing of the illnesses that people are getting, Dave. And No, you're right. And thank God we haven't had any more deaths in our town. So... While it's difficult, it's the reality, and I give a lot of shout-outs to everybody who's following these rules because it's working. And we need to continue until that vaccination is proven to be available and uh, gets us healthy uh, in, in terms of going forward. So I, you're doing a great job, um, and it's a wonderful opportunity for people to be flexible and creative during COVID-19 with our parks and recreation. Thanks, Nate. That's really interesting. Oh, you're welcome. I know for me personally, I've been out a lot more than usual. Just it, it's nice to be out getting some fresh air and, you know, our airline trail, our reservoir, our parks. I, I've seen so many people out biking, exercising, yeah, yeah. just really enjoying nature and taking advantage of 
what we have available. Well, I think Portland is set up for it in terms Absolutely. of our outdoor activities, and we continue to stay that way Absolutely. regardless of COVID-19. Fantastic. All right, Nate. Well, thank you very, very much for all that update. Um, a lot of good stuff happening. And uh, again, uh, Russ, thank you for all of your good stuff uh, uh, coming out of the district and keep up the good work. And uh, uh, I'm sure I'll, we'll have more information after uh, Dr. Britton's uh, podcast this afternoon at, uh, at, at 2 o'clock. So uh, yeah, I can't I'll, wait to hear it. I'll, I'll keep you posted as we can go from there. So go for that. And again, uh, Mr. Ryan Curley on all that good stuff from the uh, registrar uh, uh, office and the town clerk's office. So a lot of good stuff happening here in town and uh, uh, more to come, more to come. So again, thank you all. Uh, I think that wraps up our episode 15 and uh, here at the Town of Portland uh, Educational Podcast Studio at Portland High School. Uh, I'm your host, Dave Kosminski, with our first select woman, Ms. Susan Bransfield. And uh, we will catch you next Thursday. And again, our podcasts are uh, post-produced and uh, are also aired on the Channel 15 uh, Public Access Channel uh, 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 for Comcast. So uh, anywhere you get your podcast, we're there, as well as we're on Channel 15 uh, on cable access. So until next week, uh, thank you all, and uh, please uh, stay home, stay safe, and above all, wash your hands. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Dave Kosminski. Please tune in every week for new and relevant conversations about the town of Portland. You can find us at portlandct.org or at YouTube forward slash town of Portland, and now wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and sharing with friends. This podcast was produced by the Town Tech Educational Partnership Program, which is a partnership between Portland High School and the Portland Town Hall. If you're looking to start a podcast for your business or organization, check out towntech.org forward slash podcast to learn more. Yeah.